John chapter 15, reading the word of God in your hearing. Please give your attention. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can it bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here is the reading of God's word. My father, my own father, is, was a gardener. He had a green thumb. He spent many hours in the evening after coming home from work in the garden, tending to it. And it was very fruitful. When we moved homes, he took the vine that we had. It was small and growing, but he took that vine, uprooted it, and he planted it beside our backyard patio. We had a trellis there for the vine to climb and to cover over our patio. And even to this day, it's a very fruitful vine. We're looking at this passage today in John chapter 15 about a vine and a vineyard and a vine dresser. And it is in this passage part of this, what we call this farewell discourse that Jesus has from chapter 14 to 16, where he is saying farewell to his disciples. And in the middle of this passage, we have these words and this picture of a vineyard. The vine, Jesus says, is I. I am the vine, he says. You, speaking to his disciples, are the branches. And my father, your father, is the vine dresser, the gardener in this vineyard. See the picture in your mind? This is the vineyard that we're looking at today. And when Jesus said these words, his intent was to teach his disciples the relationship that he was going to have with them after he has left them and he's gone to be with the Father to sit at his right hand and the Father and the Son would send the Holy Spirit to them, to the church. And he says these words in John chapter 14, verse 20. On that day, 
you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. On that day, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will understand this union, but now I'm explaining it to you. This union with me that Jesus says here. Jesus is promising that he's going to be joined with his disciples in this vital, organic union with them, that they would be one. He is the vine. They are the branches, that they are one together. And the Father would tend to his vineyard as they are one. Now, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here, but he's there. He's the one who will bear this fruit in them, the fruit of the Spirit in them. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit is in this vineyard that we're going to see here in verses 1 to 8. We're going to see the Father's work, Christ's word, and then our will, how to respond to this. The Father's work, Christ's word, and our will. First of all, the Father's work. What is the Father's work in this vineyard? The Father examines his own vineyard. And he sees right away here in verse 2, he says, he comes to a branch and he says, every branch, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So as he's seeing in his vineyard some branches that have no fruit, what does he do with it? In this translation, it says cuts off. Other translations say he takes away And in this sense, we'd understand that Judas was one of those, one of his disciples. He did not continue with Jesus. He went away from Jesus. He was cut off from his position. He was taken away as a disciple of Jesus. No longer to be one of his. He showed himself never to be a true disciple. That's that's Judas, one of his own disciples, who bore no fruit in his life. But perhaps as you have studied this passage, you've seen another interpretation, another word that's used here. A.W. Pink, if you know him, uh, he he sees the word here translated better as that word edo is actually lift up. That he comes and sees a branch that's not bearing fruit and and he he comes and lifts it up. So some translators see it that way as as the, the, the vine dresser lifting up the branch so that it would bear fruit. Now, how is that seen in discipleship? There are times and seasons in our lives where, as we are in Christ, we are not bearing much fruit in our lives. And we think of a parable in Luke chapter 3, sorry, Luke chapter 13, where it says in verse 6 to 9, This picture of, at times, perhaps a disciple, it says, Jesus told a parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit in this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. Give it some time. I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. 
God is gracious with his children, with disciples. It be a time of lack of fruit bearing, dryness in our lives, while well, he lifts us up. That's true, we know in scripture. He lifts us up so that we would bear fruit. Well, since the creation of the world, God our Father, his purpose for us and his work is that we would bear fruit, that we would be fruitful. That's his, his will for us, is that we would be fruitful. And what he does is he comes to his vineyard and he prunes us. He trims. He does that work of a master vine dresser so that we would bear fruit. Look at the second part of verse 2. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. That's the work of the vine dresser. He's pruning the branches so that it will be even more fruitful. You see the picture? He's pruning. He's ensuring that you will bear fruit and fruit that will last and bountiful fruit. That's his work as the vine dresser. So when he comes to examine each and every one of your lives, he's looking for fruit. Is there fruit? He will come to you still and he will prune and trim so that you will bear more fruit in your life. Think of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. You know the fruit of the Spirit? It's like a cluster of grapes, one fruit. How are you doing with the fruit of the Spirit? You need to bear, bear more fruit in that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. All those grapes on the vine, are they all there? We might say, well, I'm not a very, per, per, uh, by personality, I'm not a very patient person. Well, it's not about personality. It's neither about perhaps the, your upbringing. You've been reared in a, in a wonderful home and naturally now you're a very nice, polite, um, courteous person. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Because even in you, may not be perceived by others, but in you, he may have the works of the flesh. Operative in you. Think of the works of the flesh, jealousy, envy, rivalry, dissensions, divisions. Those are all the works of the flesh. Others, you may look at them and you see tattooed all over. You see them and they, they've come from a rough past. And they lived a life of debauchery, the living up the desires of the flesh. And now you see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. You see the beautiful fruit of joy and peace and patience. All these things are evidence that they are a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is by grace through faith. But what does verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Father has good works for us to walk in, to live out in our lives. That's the fruit of our lives he wants us to live out. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 has a prayer there, and he prays for the, the church in Colossae, 
And, he's, and he prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. There are good works that are fruit of our lives that we bear by the Spirit as we are united in Jesus Christ. That's the Father's purpose, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, every good work, as we are united in his Son, Jesus Christ. And so the Father comes, he sees us bearing fruit, and he comes to prune and to trim. What is that work that he does? Well, we see it in Hebrews chapter 12. Is his disciplining of his children. Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to turn there, or just listen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his son? And then the writer to the Hebrews quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. Again, the father's coming, he's pruning. This is his disciplining of his children. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters, after all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Are you respecting? Children, you're... you're Earthly fathers, how much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. The Father's work has a purpose, that we would share in his holiness. And then it says here, later on, however, it produces. So no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see the purpose here? The Father's work is that we would share in his holiness and that we would be a people who, though discipline is painful, produce a harvest of righteousness and holiness as we are being trained by him. That's the work of pruning that the Father does, the bare harvest in our lives. So that's the Father's work now, Christ's word that we're seeing here, Christ's word. In verse 3, Jesus says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are clean. How so? Because of the word I already spoke to you, the word that they heard, this word of life, this word of truth, and that word they believed. So they were clean. Just that very night, Jesus was with his disciples. Do you remember in the, the Last Supper with them? He, he knelt down, the servant, and washed their feet to clean their feet. But he said to them, you are clean already, but not every one of you. He's speaking of Judas, who was not clean. He did not, he did not believe the word of truth. You are clean by that word. John 17, Jesus prays to his father for his disciples, and he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true. We are set apart. We are made holy, washed clean by the word of truth. Hebrews, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. You know this 
passage about marriage, picture of marriage in Christ and his love for the church. And in that verse in 26, chapter 5, he says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to cleanse her, to purify her, to make her holy by the washing of water through the word. There's a washing through the word to make clean. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. You are clean because of the word, the word that they had believed. Now, speaking to the children, boys and girls, because I had children that were young, I understand. You, you know when you have done something wrong to your parents, do you ever feel in your heart that it's filthy inside? You feel dirty. You ever feel that? Well, what do you need? A shower, a bath? You need Jesus to wash you clean. And that's through his word. To cleanse you. And this word of promise, what does the Bible promise you? That if you confess your sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's how he cleanses us as we confess our sin before him. Now, if you are clean, Jesus says, remain in me. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. This is not a relationship of being close to Jesus at arm's length and just being with him. As a friend, it's so much more than that. He says, be united with me. Remain in me. Abide in me. In that union with him. That's the closeness of that relationship in Jesus, who made you clean by his word. Now there's this imperative, remain in me, but it's based upon the indicative. Remaining in him, based upon your vital union with him. That if you have believed in Jesus Christ, did you know that you have died with him? You have been raised with him? That's called union with Christ. And his death and resurrection, that's... that's the reality of, of your situation. But then Jesus says, now remain in me. You are in him, now remain in him, abide in him. Now you ever imagined here, it struck me this week as I was looking at these words. This is the, in verse five, it says, I am the vine. And this is the last I am statement in the seven I am statements in the gospel of John. But think of this particular one that he chose to be the last. And that is the one where Jesus says, remain in me, the great I am, the one who is independent, the I am who I am, remain in me. Think of how you are in Christ. You are in the great I am, the Lord God Almighty. That's your status, your position in him. So we have promises from him, the great I am. And it says here in the second part of verse 5, I, the vine, you are the branches. If, here's the condition, if you remain in me and I in you, and here's a promise, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit if you remain in him. What a promise. Well, it's realizing that we cannot bear any fruit apart from him. The second part of verse 4 says, 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. Look at verse 5, the second part of verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a question of ability. You cannot bear any fruit apart from remaining in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, we are here. Physically, we chose to be here. But you know that you can live a whole day without bearing any fruit because you're not remaining in him. You're not doing anything that is pleasing to the Father. You're not giving glory to the Father. You're having no spiritual fruit of any eternal consequence because you're not remaining, abiding in Christ. You see that? There's a condition. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit and fruit that abides. That's the condition or the promise. Ever pick up your iron for your clothes and you wonder, what's wrong with this thing? And then you realize it's not plugged in. We all, we've all done that, I'm sure. Well, how is it for our lives? You cannot bear any fruit unless you are, in a sense, plugged in to Jesus. Unless you are remaining and abiding in him in your life. You see the picture there. And that there are those, as Jesus says here in verse 6, there are those who do not remain in him, who do not bear any fruit at all. And there's a warning. If you do not remain in me, this is what you are like. You're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Burn. What a picture. Well, we see this picture here of a vineyard that fails. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. I have planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? He's speaking of his own people. You have not borne any fruit in your life. Where is the fruit? We just heard the reading from Isaiah chapter 5. And he says very clearly in verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And he says in verse 4, I looked for good grapes. Why did it yield only bad? And then this is what he was going to do with them. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow from these. Israel, the nation of Israel, was the vineyard of the Lord. And they did not bear good fruit. They, they bore bad fruit. In what sense? Jesus came to his own people, and his own did not receive him. They did not bear the fruit of salvation. We see in Matthew chapter 13 this parable that speaks of these branches that are thrown into the fire. And it's a picture of divine judgment. Parable of the weeds. In chapter thir- Matthew 13, verse 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned to the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. And this is speaking now at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom and everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Jesus spoke of hellfire. More than he spoke of heaven. He spoke of judgment upon those who would not bear fruit. Israel, who rejected him, for the most part, and even those who live in this world without bearing fruit, there will be divine judgment. And some people might say, well, I don't believe in a God, this God. I believe in a loving God who would not throw people into hell. And yet, the scriptures are clear that God is just and he rightly judges those who have spurned and squandered every opportunity that they've been given in this life to receive the grace to that is in Jesus Christ, his son. That is very clear. And yet we know that even in the covenant community, there are those who have spurned this word. Terrifying words in Hebrews chapter 6 for those who have not received Christ by faith. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And here is the picture. In contrast, land that drinks in the rain often falling on it that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessings of God. And yet, for these people who have not received Christ, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. There are branches that bear no fruit, and they're picked up in the end and thrown into the fire. Thrown into the fire. Others may really struggle with that, especially Hebrews chapter 6, and read that and, and start to doubt, look at their lives. Why am I not bearing more fruit in my life? Where is the fruit? And I struggle with that. I should be bearing much more fruit than what I've received. I should be responding. I have a debt. But it's not to look for, to ourselves and to the fruit that we are bearing. It's to look to the one who brings the fruit, to look to Jesus, the one who has come not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came again to his vineyard and he found his own people had failed to bear fruit on their own, but still he himself comes and he identifies himself as this, the true vine. Not like Israel, the vine that failed, but the true vine that will bear fruit in all those who are the branches united with him. And that's the fruit of salvation. The fruit that he would have with that joy that was set before him at the cross, the fruit of salvation on our behalf. As our substitute, he bore that fruit of salvation in us. As we're united with him, if you're united with him, as he is the vine and we are the branches. And in verse 7, we see this great promise from the vine. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
Even if you pray for that salvation, in Christ, you will receive that salvation. But even as we are united with him in this life, praying, having his word in us, we will be praying according to his will. And his will will be done as we pray. Do you wonder why you're not seeing more answers to prayer in your life? Well, it's very clear. Coming back to John chapter 15, it's because you're not remaining in Christ as you pray. His word is not remaining in you as you pray. Praying according to his will because we know this promise that it will be done. Whatever you wish, according to his word, it will be done. That's the condition. So when we speak of Christ's word in us, then it's our response, our will, our will to do with this word. Let's review this picture to see our part in this. We are the branches. We're only alive because we are in the vine that is Christ. And when we're fully joined to the vine, think of the nutrients that are flowing through us, this life that is flowing through us to the branches to bear fruit in us. That's the organic union. And that's through this complete dependency, this constant reliance upon Christ as the vine in our lives. That's how the fruit comes. So is it then a sense that we are then to simply be passive in receiving this life-giving sap of, of his life in us through his word? You know, some theology says that we are to let go and let God, just simply be passive. But is that what we see here? There is a will that we exercise in responding to that life that we have in Christ. Think of it this way. You are physically fully dependent on God for your every life breath. Right? He gives you breath. But we need to eat and drink to sustain our life. You have to actually eat and drink to stay alive. I looked it up that you, you cannot go without food for more than 40, 50 days. You can't go without water, something to drink for three days. We need to eat and drink to stay alive, to be sustained in our bodies. But what about spiritually? We are dependent on the bread of life, the living water for our spiritual Sustenance for us to remain alive in Him. Otherwise, if we are not drawing from the nutrients that we have in Christ, we will wither on the vine. We will draw, we will draw, draw, dry out that branch bearing no fruit and prove that we were never disciples. We must exercise the will. Our own will to abide and to remain, having his word remaining in us. If, he says, if my words remain in you. Peter wrote that if you have been born again through the living and enduring word of God, like newborn babes craving for the spiritual milk that you may grow up in your salvation, there is a, there is a, feeding off of Christ to be able to grow up in Christ. 
We're brought to new life through the word. Now we must feed on the word to grow. Remember speaking to someone at a pre-field training in 1999 to go to Africa for a mission trip. And he was confiding in me that he had not been reading the word for a long time. In the mornings, he was picking up his guitar and singing songs to, to Jesus. He thought that was his way he was going to, to grow. I don't know what happened to him. But I, I spoke to someone this past week who had fallen away from the faith. He had stopped feeding himself in the Word of God long ago. It's no wonder that he fell away. He was a member of the church. And he fell off like that branch bearing no fruit. What does Psalm 119 verse 9 say? How can a young man keep his way pure and clean? By guarding it according to his word. In verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly. Let that word dwell Soak in richly. That's what we're talking about here. It's not a diet of snacks and energy drinks that are terrible for your physical body. You wouldn't do that with the Word of God. What does the Bible say? If you're a young believer, it's spiritual milk that you are drinking from. If you're a mature believer, it's the meat of God's Word, studying deeply God's Word. That's how the Word of Christ dwells within you richly. So it's by exercising of your will to take up this word and to internalize it, be part of you, your will at work. The Father's at work on us as the vine dresser. The, the word of Christ is working in us, and it's never in vain because of the purpose that we would bear fruit in our lives to his glory. Abundant fruit. So how do we remain in him? all these blessings of a fruitful life to be very clear first you must be in Christ you must be united with Christ that's the first thing how do you do that you turn away from your sin you repent of that sin has made you dirty filthy and unclean and you and you trust in Jesus Christ that's how you are brought into that relationship with him that unity with him If you're not, you'll be like that branch that is thrown away in the fire. And if you are united with him, then Jesus was so clear here. Remain, abide in him. Remain in him. Otherwise, you will not bear fruit with abundance, fruit that will last. Apart from him, he's very clear. You can do nothing with spiritual fruit. So daily, daily, throughout your days, take up this word. Take up this word. Live by it. Walk in it. Abide in it. Pray according to it. And you will find all the promises in God's word becoming true to you. Bearing fruit, more fruit, answer to prayer. As Jesus says, you will be displaying to the world, he says here, this is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In bearing fruit, you are giving glory to your Father in heaven.